Because that is to us is the most important questions. I can't tell you what makes every single person in the world feel fulfilled. But I can tell you, every time I've met a fulfilled individual, especially in the workplace, they were able to answer yes to those three questions. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is James Laws, co-founder and CEO of Saturday Drive, a business development firm that helps companies develop their culture. Under his leadership and alongside his co-founders, Saturday Drive has launched wildly popular businesses like Ninja Forms, a top-rated form builder for WordPress, SendWP, which is a transactional email service, as well as the internationally award-winning coffee shop and roaster, Bon Live Coffee Roasters. James has been leading teams and organizations for over 20 years. He's a public speaker, writer, and host of the podcast, Leading to Fulfillment. James, thanks for joining me today. Carol, thank you so much. I'm uh, excited to be here. So, James, what's the biggest problem? I mean, we talk about culture, but like, what's the biggest problem that you're solving for your clients? Do they even realize they have a cultural problem? Uh, You know, I think we have been taught a line in business that it is profit over everything. And, And obviously, businesses must be profitable in order to be successful. You will go out of business without profit. But you know, this idea that it's profit at all costs and that we don't take care of people. We see this in the HR industry, right? HR has been moving from human resources to people operations, right? Because the transition is like, they're not, it's not just a resource. We're out of the idea that people are a commodity in our business to drive them forward. So I think one of the biggest things that we work on, and, and I work on in my own company, my own businesses, as well as businesses that I consult with and talk with, is how do we reframe the relationship that recognizes that my employees are my customers. They are my clients as a leader. And what the organization and the culture that I develop is my product that I mm-hmm. build and develop and serve on behalf of my clients. Yeah, I, I I could not have said that any better. And that's, you know, of course, fully aligned with, you know, what I've done for 30 years and how I believe businesses should run. So it's really refreshing to hear that, right? You have found officially founded the company in January of 2014. So you're in your um, ninth year and you've bootstrapped it, correct? Yeah. Yeah. When you think about, you know, when we started out, I was working a full-time job as a web administrator for a regional credit union in my area. So while I was doing that, I was building a software product, promoting it, selling it, supporting it, going through that whole process. Mm -hmm. That actually started in 2011. Okay. And so we did that right along all the way up until uh, I, you know, I had to make a deal with my wife because we were like, this thing is growing. It's, 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 it's taking off and it's taking more and more of my time. I want to do this full time. She's like, you save enough that we have, you know, two years mm-hmm. of salary in the bank for kind of a risk management. You go ahead and quit. 
So I spent 2013 doing that. And at the end of 2013, I put in my notice and went full time doing this. So yeah, we've bootstrapped it the whole way, mostly sweat equity. Because of the nature of software, uh, we were able to do it without having to put a lot of capital into it. But we were put a, put a lot of nights and weekends and and love and blood and sweat and tears. Mm-hmm. Are, are, have you? Did you ever have any interest? I mean, how did you fund the company? Was it strictly you know you and your partners, or you know did you got for any business loans? You know, you know, here's here's a struggle, right? When you're when you're just getting started and you don't have anything and you've not done anything, getting loans is next mm-hmm. to impossible. Right. You might be able to pitch your idea, right, to a to venture capitalists or some sort of seed funding, mm-hmm. and you can go there, and they might might depending on what you what you what idea you have. But if you love something and you have a dream to do something, the best investment is your time and energy yeah. and and just put that in. So I had a business partner, a friend, he was my best friend who was also an engineer. Uh, and so we came up with this idea through the business that I was already working with through cuz my CEO had asked me to help Junior Achievement of Chattanooga with a website website mm-hmm. project. And in doing mm-hmm. that, we discovered our idea. And so there we started to develop it, build it out and, and launch that thing. But yeah, no, we, we didn't have any money going into it. We spent all of our extra time and effort to build the thing, put up a website. You know, we spent some of our own money, right, to pay for the hosting of a website, to sell the product. We built our own little kind of e-commerce transaction, transactional system with PayPal so we could accept payments. And you know, like it was very crude and rough, but we did it and we got it out there. And then as customers started paying us for the product, we were able to invest that money back right back into the product, developing the the infrastructure, better website, better e-commerce, and better tooling. So we we went through that process. But yeah, fully bootstrapped and no funding from anything outside. James, what was the genesis of this idea? So I, I kind of alluded to it, but so I was asked to sit in on a board meeting between the chapter of junior achievement in our area by my CEO. He's -hmm. like, I think they're getting ripped off by this web agency. And I just want you to give your two cents. (laughs) And so I was like, yeah, I'll sit in. I had no expectation of working on the project. I was just doing a favor because it's my CEO and why wouldn't I want to do him a favor? So I sit in on this meeting and they start explaining uh, their pricing in their system. And I'm looking at their invoices and for, for building a web form. And so for your listeners, anytime you go to a website, fill out a contact form, an email marketing form for an email address, a uh, you go to purchase something, you're putting in your mm-hmm. address and your credit card, all that, all that form stuff is basically, you know, an HTML form input on the front end and then some processing on the back end that right. handles all of that. Right. Well, for each form, they were charging a, a huge amount of money for each individual form. And in my mind, I'm thinking, once you build the back end, the processing, the, the really the hardest part of it, you're, you're done. That's repeatable. So why are you charging them the same amount for each form? I understand like, hey, it's this much for the first form and each additional form because it's a little bit of tweaking is this much. But they weren't doing that. It was just a full kit and caboodle. So I kind of dug in. And when we left, we, they, they asked them to exit the room. They turned to me and they said, do you think they're ripping them off? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And here's why. And I laid it out. 
And so I left the room. They said they excused me. They brought them back in and fired them on the spot, uh, which was a little intimidating based yes. because I do it solely based on my words. So I felt a mm-hmm. little bad about that. And then the CEO came out and said, will you build the website for them? Will you do it? And I was like, uh, sure. Right. Because I was doing side projects and freelance work that way. And so I started building this uh, website for them. But I built a form builder that was reproducible so that they could build their own forms anytime they wanted to mm-hmm. change that. So if they wanted to have a fundraiser for their bowling tournament, or if they wanted to sell tables, uh, sponsored tables for a, a different or an auction or whatever it might be, they could build their own form, hook it up to how they wanted to collect payments and for how much, and they did it all themselves. So once we built that, we are like, I think any website could use this. So we started building it and kind of cleaning it up and making it more uh, reusable for anyone that they could just install it on their website and run with it. And that's kind of where the product started. That was the first product. And then since then, we've gotten a bunch of different things. Right. So so when did culture enter your, your universe? Well, you know, culture is there from the beginning. Uh, you know, my partner and I obviously had a certain relationship. And so the culture starts with the two of us. Mm-hmm. And, and as you bring people on, every time you hire somebody in your organization, your culture changes, it shifts. That person is going to change your culture for better or for worse, hopefully for the better every single time. That's why so many great people will tell you, hire slow, fire fast, because when you bring somebody in, they're going to change that culture. And the longer they're in your company, the longer they, they change and they adjust that culture. So culture is from the very beginning. Uh, it started with us having a little bit of an idea of who we were and the kind of company we wanted to be, which was not a hustle company. We didn't want to be about, you know, oh, well, you just have to, you have to work, you know, 60, 70 hours a week and you work nights, you work weekends, you work whenever. We were like, mm-hmm. no. You don't work weekends unless you like to work on weekends. You don't work on weekends. (laughs) You know, like we we're not going to try to ask people to work more than 40 hours. In most cases, we didn't ask people to work more than 30 hours because most people can't be productive that long during the week. But if you can get 30 productive hours or even 20 productive hours hours out of a team member, probably gotten more than most companies will ever see. And so we started kind of changing that culture. Would you uh, consider yourself a lifestyle company? In that case, I mean, yeah, and it's, not, it's not a negative. That, it's just no, it is what it is. It's not a negative. Yeah. yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. You know, when you talk about a lifestyle company, it's like, yeah, it is a lifestyle company for me. It's mm-hmm. a lifestyle company for my business partners. Mm-hmm. And we actually think it's also a lifestyle company for each person that we hire. Because right. our goal is to make sure that they, as long as they want a job, they've got a job. And as long as, you know, we, we set expectations together and as long as we're on the same page, we can continue to, you know, grow and build new things. Uh, and so, yeah, I think in a way it is a lifestyle culture. Do we expect to grow and continue to grow and continue to take on new projects and get bigger? Yeah, but I mean, it's going to be a part of our lifestyle forever. Mm-hmm. So you got out of school um, in uh, 1993. Tell me a little bit about your journey from 93 to, you know, let's say early 2014 when you went into this full time uh, as a first time founder. And, you know, what kind of what made you think that this is something that you could be successful at? Well, you know, it's funny, you know, in 2013, I, I 
graduated from high school. I went on to college and I will say this is one of my personal opinions. College is wasted on the young. <laughs> Did you say two, oh, uh, 2013? I guess. I okay, two, no, oh, sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. 93 uh, is when yes. I graduated from high school. I went right into, went right into college. And I, again, I think that, uh, I think that college is wasted on the young because we, we don't know what we want to be. Right. We don't know where we're headed. And, and, and yes, you know, a two year, uh, liberal arts kind of experience is great. You learn to communicate, you learn a little bit about who you are. That's an awesome experience. Um, but sometimes even then you're not ready to really figure out what you want to do. So I did really well through two years of college and decided I don't, I don't really like college. Like I did well, but I didn't like it. And so I decided to leave. Now, of course, I wish I could, I guess I could just go back and keep learning. And mm -hmm. I do learn and I do, uh, you know, give myself those opportunities. But at the time it was wasted on me. So in 2014, uh, 2014, I keep, I'm still back in that original story. Back in 93, after two years of college, so right around 95, uh, I had to do an interview for one of my classes with a savings bank, with the CEO of the local savings bank. And so I started talking to them and I thought, maybe this is something I'd like to do. Maybe I'd love to run a bank. So I'll just start at the ground floor. I'll get a job as a teller and he had just done an interview with me, liked me and got me a job in the bank. And I started as a teller. And I thought that's what I'll do. Um, but I, it was not what I was supposed to do. So I have a history of just going through a lot of jobs. What I realized okay. is I'm a terrible employee because I get bored too fast. And most companies don't have the growth plan for their team, don't have a way for them to scale and continue to grow and continue to develop. So almost everywhere that I went, I'd I'd get too big for my britches. Let's be honest. Like I, I'd, I'd learn everything there is to learn in the space that I'm in. And I'd be like, I want to do more. And the people who were my bosses were like, we don't yeah. want you to do yeah. more any right now. And mm -hmm. so it ended up where either I would get fired or I would quit because we just weren't aligned. And so I did that. I mean, my favorite job was selling vacuum cleaners door to door. I was trying everything. <laughs> and I did that for a while. And I do, oh. I actually, I didn't do it for a while. I did it for one month. And realize I am not a salesman. So I was like, ah, I'm out. Um, so I just did a lot of different jobs. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize I'm a terrible employee. So maybe the better thing is an entrepreneur. And that's kind of what started it for me. I said, I just started doing my own things. My very first company was at 18. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a t-shirt company called Turtle and Hair Designs. Uh, and all I had did was basically open up my uh, DBA, open up a bank account, mm -hmm. put $20 in it. And then it never actually went anywhere else. That was, a, that was my first start. But it was the first step. It was like, oh, I can start something. I can name it. Right. I can get an idea going. But, you know, after that process, I just, I went through a lot of odd jobs trying to find out who I was and what I liked and what I enjoyed. And I kind of fell in graphic design and technology. And that's, I think, where I kind of settled. Um, but I also, you know, pastored a church for 10 years as a lead pastor, mm -hmm. communicator, mm -hmm. preached every single week, I've honed my communication skills that way, uh, built websites while doing that as on the side to make additional money. So that whole journey was just me discovering, like, what am I good at? And it turns out it was casting vision, it was having ideas, and it was rallying people around those ideas to see those things come to fruition. And so once I figured that out, uh, the rest is kind of history. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, you mentioned how all the various jobs that you had and, and you know, about being a bad employee and a much better boss. You know, how do you, and that you got bored, how do you keep your own employees from being bored? 
Or, or, well, or have you gotten clear on the kind of employees you need to hire so that they won't get bored? Well, there's, there's two things there, right? Yeah, and you, mm-hmm. you, you said it and you're absolutely right. It's one, you have to hire the right type of person for your team. So whatever you set up your culture to be, you have to find the right person. I think uh, it's Jim Collins who said, right? Like you got to get the right person in the right seat on the bus, right? Like who is it <laughs> that you need to get on the bus? So there's finding the right person, finding the right fit. <laughs> Uh, and, and sometimes it's finding the right person who will change your culture. It's not always just yeah. finding the person who fits your culture, but it's finding the person who's going to dynamically and dramatically change your culture for the better. But first mm-hmm. you find the right person then, and this is the hard part. And this is where bosses fail every single time. This is where leaders struggle. You have to let go. You have to give up control. Can't micromanage them. You have to give them autonomy to make the role what they need it to be, to be fulfilling for them. And if you do that, if you will back up and let Mm -hmm. them do their job for that you hired them to do in Mm -hmm. their way, not your way, their way, they will surprise you. (laughs) I will say in, in my book, and this will be enough about me. uh, I debunked (laughs) the entire bus thing with Jim Collins. So that's fair. That's fair. I, you know, yeah, there are a lot of philosophies around this idea, right? I think it was uh, EOS and Traction that talks about you want people who get it, want it, and have the capacity to do it, right? Uh, my system is I use fit. I'm looking for per- people who are the right fit. Do they have the mm-hmm. faculty, the initiative, and the temperament for my team, for my organization? That's different than your organization. For my organization, fit looks like one thing. For your organization, fit looks like something else. That is exactly correct. Yeah. yeah. How do you go about finding your customers or do they find you? You know, it's funny. We started in what's, if you're not familiar with it, it, we started in what's called the the WordPress space. So WordPress Mm -hmm. is a content management system. Many of your listeners' websites are probably built on top of WordPress. And What's really cool about this community is they are a community. There's a lot of places where you get involved in a community and like they don't want to they don't want to help you with anything and they're very closed off. And the WordPress community wasn't like that. So if you're right. good people and you try to offer a good product, they're extremely supportive. And so we kind of came into this community that was very accepting of us and who was willing to give us a chance and try us out. And over time, we started to build that word of mouth. So we started with a base, like a foundational base of the WordPress community. And then they, people just of their own uh, prerogative started to write about us and people started to discover us. So m- almost all of our marketing is word of mouth and people discovering us as they search to find those the answer to their problems. We do no outbound sales in any way, shape, or form. Wow, that's fantastic. What would you say is the competitive nature of your business, James? It's it's actually it's it's getting more and more competitive. When we yeah. started back in 2011, the WordPress um, ecosystem, especially the business ecosystem, was brand new. Uh, there was only a, there was you know there were plenty of businesses and people who have built products on top of it, but we were they were all very fairly green and new to the experience, including mm-hmm. us as we started into this process in this community, and so we started this process and started to build this out. But as it's gone over a decade of time, mm-hmm, the space mm-hmm. has matured and consolidated. And so, you know, I, I was telling years and years and years ago, I was telling product business, people who own plugins like I do, software that like I do, or theme businesses. I was telling people, our, our next competitor isn't each other. 
You know, I have, there's lots of competitors in the form space. They're not the people I'm actually competing against. It's now hosts, hosting companies who are trying to become a turnkey one-stop solution are actually our biggest competition now because they're buying up other art, they're buying up our competitors and rolling them into their services. And so it's getting, it's getting more competitive because hopes hosts have very deep pockets. And so they're yeah, able like to do a is, lot would, more. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, GoDaddy, yeah, that's what EIG, I would, like there's right. a lot of those out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what makes you distinctly different? I mean, I, I know in theory what it is, but, you know, how is it? Is it because they've tried something like GoDaddy or EIS or whatever those are, or, and they were not happy with those organizations that they came to you? What's, yeah. I think part of it for us has been we, we refuse to just do what everyone else was doing at the time. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so, you know, when we first started, we wanted to look and feel like WordPress. So if you were mm-hmm. in your WordPress dashboard, everybody wanted to look and feel that way. When we first launched, mm-hmm. we did the same thing. But somewhere along the line, we decided we needed our own personality. We needed, we thought there was a better user interface and a better experience that we could provide by really designing this thing really, really well. So we worked with a company that I have worked with on a multiple projects now who I absolutely love called Focus Lab. And we actually sat down and said, let's rethink what a form experience, building a form would look like. Let's redo it completely. And we innovated on a completely new drag and drop builder right within WordPress that was really gorgeous and people really fell in love with it to the point Mm -hmm. that just you know, a year ago, some of our biggest competitors launched and basically are using the same exact UI that we developed. It's not, you know, it's not pixel for pixel, but you definitely can tell that it was inspired by what we've done. And so what I always tell my team is, you know, it took five years for our competitors to kind of catch up to that innovation. The question is, what are we working on now that's going to take them the next five years to catch up with? Right. And so I think that's part of what made us different is we're always experimenting. Uh, experimentation is a part of our culture. It's a part of our lifeblood. So how do we try different things, learn from those things, and then take them a step further and keep pushing the boundaries? Are, are you willing to talk about your um, revenue numbers at all or not? Yeah. So, so where are you? You know, you're eight and a half years in. Where, where are your revenues? Well, you know, Saturday Drive has a multiple components. So right. that's, that's a little bit of the, the kind of the challenging part. We have a coffee shop that is growing and flourishing. Even throughout the pandemic, we were doing really well when other businesses around us were really struggling, which I don't mm-hmm. say as a, as a brag, uh, more as a, uh, I'm humbled by the fact that we've been, we were been able to succeed where right. others have been struggling. Um, we have transactional email service. We have Ninja Forms, which is kind of our form builder. Uh, we have this new media thing that we're working on. So there, we have a lot of different components that are developing. And of course, we hopefully are doing being really smart and we're investing our profits into things that will continue to make money even when we don't aren't selling products. Uh, so, you know, at this point, uh, we're probably in the 5 million range when you com- when you consolidate mm-hmm. everything together mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and doing that annually and feel pretty good about it. We're still extremely profitable, although we're feeling the competition on the form side and the software side. Right. So we're working on that, developing that. Um, everything else seems to be growing pretty fast. And so we're profitable, we're strong, we're healthy, we're still hiring and bringing new pe- te- people onto the team. Mm-hmm. And that always feels really good. So, 
Well, good. Well, let's, since, since you're talking about hiring and so on, you've got about 19 full-time W-2 employees, and I know you have yeah. a number of contractors that work with you as well. Um, yeah. You know, when you all jumped in uh, at the 1st of 2014 full-time, right, how did you get from there to the 19 you're at right now, at least from a W-2 standpoint? Well, incorrectly at first. Uh, so good. when you start growing, you think, oh, we can move faster if we just hire more. And so we would hire and we started hiring pretty fast. And we, so we mm-hmm. started adding. We, first thing we did was we hired somebody to get me out of the support forums. So I wasn't handling all mm-hmm. the support interactions. Right, of course. Uh, then mm-hmm. we brought in an engineer to help my partner out build, in writing code. And then we hired somebody else to do support. And then we hired another person to do support. And then we hired three more engineers. Like it was really rapid in the first few years where we, we started adding team too fast. Now, the problem and the challenge with taking it too fast is one, one of the things is from a software company, adding a new engineer does not necessarily make you faster. In most cases, it usually slows you down. <laughs> uh, so that's that's one thing that I didn't know mm-hmm. early on in a software mm-hmm. company. The other thing is you can't be intentional about your culture if you're bringing people on too fast. Your 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 culture is your your culture is more happening to you instead right. of you leading culture. And we want to you know. So it took us a few years and some growing pains and some 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 strife and figuring that out to say, okay, we actually want to lead culture. We don't want to let culture lead us. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. that was probably one of the biggest challenges as we started growing. That's how we started growing and bringing on employees. We were actually, when we started too, we were co-located. So we had an office and bringing people and we were working together. And in 2019, before the pandemic, we had acquired another form product into, and absorbed it into our business and their team was distributed all over the world. So we we're like, I don't, I don't want to do this hybrid thing because there's always the the people who are distributed feel less than the people who are in the office hanging out all the time. So we just left the office. We just sent everyone home and said, we're all just going to work from home from here on out. And so we sent everybody home, helped them get set up, and became a fully distributed company overnight. And we've been that ever since. And so, yeah, it's been challenging. Right. So, so you talked about your initial kind of hiring a little too quickly. Uh, did you have, did did your turnover reflect that as well? You know, actually we've never had a problem with turnover. We, you know, what's funny is in our industry, in the software industry, two years is a long time for somebody to stay at your company. And for us, the only people who have been here less than two years are the people we've just hired. So most of our people have been here five, six, seven years, have been here from the very early days. There are a handful of people who left, uh, some that you know we had to let go and some who, let, mm-hmm. who left of their own kind of choosing either, you know, and this is something that we have to be reminded of, especially as a small business. Um, you don't always have the growth plan or possibilities for everyone on your team. Some people on your team are going to outgrow your company and that's okay. Like, it's totally okay. So you have to be okay with this fact. It's like, hey, I appreciate all you've done. I understand that we don't have what's next for you. So let me help you find what's next for you, even if it's not here. Yeah, that's really fantastic. The people that you mishired, let's call that, um, what were the kind of mistakes that you made? Well, I think early on- How did that happen? Most- 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the people that we mishired weren't, but none of them were bad people. Well, um, right. You know, I was a bad. No one is suggesting in most of those such. cases. Yeah. Yes. No. Sure. Certainly. But you do have you do have this kind of stigma of like, oh yeah, that was a bad apple that we hired and we had to let go. And none of the people that we dealt with were bad people. They were all great people. In most cases, the failures were mine as a right. leader. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for instance, one of the people that we hired, uh, we we accelerated too fast and we started putting more on them and we didn't realize that we weren't aligned. And Mm, so after a while, we got to the point where they were making decisions that were harmful for the culture and harmful for the business. And it's not that they were, again, they weren't bad. They were bad for our business. They were bad for our culture and our company. And somewhere else, they would lead strongly and powerfully and they were great. But it it came a time where we had to say, this isn't working and you don't respect me as the leader of this organization we need to part ways and we need to figure yeah. that out. We've had other yeah. situations where people were just not interested in the work, right? Where they're just like, you realize they're always interested in their side hustles, which is fine. We actually encourage side hustles for anyone who wants to do that. Entrepreneurial spirit inside of an organization is, is it helps the company thrive. But if you only care about those things and you don't care about the work that you're doing in the company, that's problematic. And so we've had those situations where we've had to do kind of corrective measures to say, all right, let's, how do we get us aligned? How do we do that? And if we can't, how do we help you, you know, move on peacefully? This is not news to me. You know, somebody's, it's kind of like the, you know, one person's trash is another person's treasure, right? Right, right. Um, to, to use really a, a simplistic way of explaining that. But that's exactly the case. And, you know, most companies don't, you know, you said for the people we got rid of, I, you know, really blame myself, right? And it's not about blaming yourself. It's really about what what were you missing in whether it's been being educated enough to understand the kind of questions you need to ask people, how you need to put them through the process to determine and to determine what do we really need for our organization to be successful. You know, so that so that our turnover rate is under 90% or under 90%, under 10%. Excuse me, my own faux pas. No, you know, and and realizing that you weren't aligned. I mean, that is every organization boils down to alignment, every Mm -hmm. single one. And that's what culture is all about, right? Is it's all about alignment. It's saying we're all on the same page, we're all working towards the same mission, the same purpose, the same goals. We have the same values, Um, and we don't have to have we don't have to all embody all of the values all the time. Mm -hmm. I I always tell my team like these are our values we agreed on them as an organization, but I will fall short of them from time to time. I fall short of my own expectations for myself all the time. So you can't imagine I'm going to always get it right. Mm -hmm. And we all do that. And that's okay. But what's nice is when I'm feeling weak in one value, the people in my, on my team are able to make up the difference. And we feel like, you know, one of our values is people first. That's our number one value is everything that we mm-hmm. do is driven by people first. It's people over profits. It's people over products. It's people over process. Always people. And so we always push people first. But there are times when, you know, I'm in my head, I'm in a bad mood, and maybe I say something that I shouldn't say or whatever. But the company is always people first because the company calls me out. And they say, mm-hmm. and my team will say, mm, that that wasn't the right tone. I don't know that that's how you meant it to come out. 
I know you mean better than the way you said that. And so we're able to challenge each other because we know what we, we know we're aligned. We know what we stand for. And so creating that space is important. So would you, would you, um, say that you have a culture of feedback? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like one of the things, you know, feedback is important and the struggle is, you know, a lot of organizations feedback looks like I send you a survey, you fill out the survey and then we, you never hear anything about it again. Like that's one way we do it. That, we try to that's talk not openly. It. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right. But that's, let's be honest in the corporate world, that's pretty much what it looks like. Uh, there's, there, you know, it's, it takes small businesses to innovate on the things that we were talking about and actually right. implement them because the corporate world, nobody seems to have time for that. But what we try to do is we take surveys, we get the results and then we share the results and we talk about the results and we poke at them a little bit and we say, Hey, what is that? What might this mean? And we survey everything. One of my big, most important surveys, mm-hmm. and we do this quarterly as a part of our fitness checkups. This is our kind of our quarterly evaluations. When we go through fitness checkups and we have conversations that says, are we still fit for the role? Still healthy, still growing, still invigorated. And are you the, are you the right fit for the organization? like, you know, square hole, square peg. Mm-hmm. And do our, is the organization the right fit for you? Because it goes both ways. Like right. the organization changes, the person right. changes. Are we still in alignment? So we always check this and we do this quarterly. But the one of the survey and feedback survey that we do is, is a question that we, is three questions that we ask every team member. It's one, do you love the work that you do? And we ask you on a scale of kind of one to four, uh, do you believe the work that you do matters? And are you able to see the impact that you have making. on the yep. company and that you're making? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we evaluate that every quarter because that is to us is the most important questions. I can't tell you what makes every single person in the world feel fulfilled. But I can tell you every time I've met a fulfilled individual, especially in the workplace, they were able to answer yes to those three questions. That's fantastic. Yeah. So... If you look at your organization over the past nine years, where would you say, not necessarily you as a, you know, as a leader, but where would you say, if there are any areas in the company that you're not really living up to where you think you should be? You know, we, I, I think when I think about a business, the the two sides of the same coin, you have culture on one Mm -hmm. side and you have strategy on the other. Mm -hmm. We are strong on culture and we are weaker on strategy. Now our culture makes up for where we're weak on strategy, but I think we could be Mm -hmm. doing so Mm -hmm. much more if we could tighten up our strategies a little bit better. And so I think that's probably, if I'm being completely honest in my business, that is where I, I look at it. And, I go, and we do, we're getting better at it and we've been working on it and improving our, we, in our quarterly strategic meetings and our annual strategic offsites mm-hmm. and really thinking through. We've gotten mm-hmm. better over the last couple of years, but it's only been in the last couple of years that we've really gotten strategic. Now, part of that has been, we've been able to, because we've looked back and said, our culture is pretty solid. Like now we're writing about how we implemented our culture because we're pretty comfortable with that. And we, mm-hmm. anecdotally anyway, it's working throughout all of our products and all of our businesses. Uh, and it's worked in those that I've been able to have the opportunity to talk and share and coach. So we have that. It's given us the permission to say, all right, let's start taking some time and focus on the strategy. Like, cause as the space gets more competitive, strategic, uh, influence is more and more important. So we have to start working on that to, to survive through the competition. Mm-hmm. 
So, so speaking of your industry, is there, is there any, if you look around any that you could call out like completely outdated advice? Like, I don't know why people, why somebody's telling somebody this, this is just totally incorrect. Well, you know, it's, it's weird when I, when I think about business in general, there mm-hmm. is so many pieces of outdated advice that, that I hear constantly going on. And, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to think through and pick like the one, uh, that I can kind of latch onto. Um, I, you know, I was just reading a book today. I'm not going to say the name of the book because I don't want to call the author out and, and be like, be a, but I was listening no, I to get this that. book yeah. and the way they were talking about getting more out of their people and pushing them and getting, getting, getting every ounce of what you could get out of them. And then they would later rephrase it to be a little bit more PC perhaps and a little nicer, but mm-hmm. just that idea that I, this is it. I, I'll put it in this phrase. No, but no business, no company deserves employees. None of you, none of them. I don't care if you're Amazon, if you're Google, if you're Delta Airlines, if you're Tesla, none of these companies deserve employees. You have to earn them. You have to earn employees to come and want to work with you and work alongside of you. So this idea that you should be happy with the job that you have. No. If you're unhappy with the job that you have, there are a lot of jobs out there that will let you live your best life personally and professionally. So nobody deserves to to have you as an employee and nobody should feel like I have to work for this company and I should just be happy with the job that I have. Uh, Change it. Like, look around. There's, There's a lot out there. Yeah. There's a lot of bad advice out there, isn't there? <laughs> there really is. And I, I've probably given it. So well, in my history, we, listen, so. we're, 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 none of us is immune to, to having made that mistake. Okay. That's, that's for sure. Uh, you know, none of us is omniscient, certainly. So consequently, you know, we're going to make mistakes. We'll see 20 years from now, even how this episode holds up, right? Yeah, right. Like, just, things <laughs> exactly. change and evolve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, where do you see uh, yourself investing in your organization over the next, let's say, 12 to twelve to 18 months? Well, mine is, in, uh, my main focus is in leadership. So developing leaders. We have a, Wonderful. We have a leadership team, but I realize that leadership makes the difference in culture. It makes a difference in strategy. It makes a difference in every area of the organization. So as the CEO, my chief responsibility is to develop a leadership Very culture good. that can grow and develop and lead the team and and find the next team members. Cause I'm not the ones doing the interview anymore. Like they are. That's right. And so if that's I, right. we don't train those leaders up right to identify the right person, then, you know, then we're going to find ourselves at one day looking back and saying, Oh, we didn't lead the culture. The culture led us. Yeah. Fantastic. If somebody wanted to get into the industry that you're in, what's, what's, kind of advice would you give them? Well, you know, there are a lot of, I have, so this is a fun part is I'm in a lot of different industries. So mm-hmm. if we're looking at the WordPress industry, uh, mm-hmm. the, the idea is look for, look at people who have websites, who manage websites and think about what is the problems that aren't being solved? Who, what's the right. itch that's not being scratched? And so think about it. 
WordPress is, it's more difficult today than it was when I got started, but it's still relatively easy to write code on top of WordPress and do, mm-hmm. and do that. If you have some sort of engineering experience or if you know somebody or you can contract out somebody to help you with an idea, there's a lot of places that you can do that. So I, I you know, in our space, I would figure out what is, again, what is the problem that nobody's solving right now? And that's true probably of every mm-hmm. industry. Of What's course the main it is. problem that right. nobody's solving that, mm-hmm. and, and probably you're experiencing it. I mean, I built my first product because of a pain I was experiencing building a website very for someone good. else. Yes, very good. So what is the problem you're feeling in that mm-hmm. space? And then figure out how you're going to solve it and solve yeah. it in a way that people also want to be a part of it. Yeah, you know, it's great to hear that because that, and I've said it time and time again on on this podcast, this is the common, this is the lowest common denominator finding a problem that needs to be solved. This is not about building a nice to have. You're not going to go anywhere. And if if you do, it's going to cause so much, so much agita. You're going to be like, get me out of here. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Building the nice to haves is fine when you have a lot of resources and you're like, ah, I'd like, I'd like to have that. And I'm going to do that on the side and it's not going to you know, right. but you have to think right. about those opportunity costs. When you chase the nice right. to have, then you miss the opportunity for what everyone else's must have is. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And I think, you know, there's, there are still people out there who are building, they think they're building a product when they're actually building a feature <laughs> for <laughs> yeah, something that really already exists. Right. So, uh, tell me, tell me a little bit, James, about what your day looks like, your day to day as a leader looks like. Yeah, uh, I get up about 5.30 in the morning. Uh, I spend a couple hours working uh, on projects. That first two hours is my most Mm -hmm. productive time. I'm fresh, I'm awake, I'm sharp. I get all my most important work done in those two hours. The rest of my day could literally get taken up by everything everything and anything, and I will still have accomplished more in that two hours. And so that two hours is my protected time. I do it at 5.30, honestly, because nobody wants a meeting with me at 5.30. Right. None of my team is asking questions at 5.30. I don't, I, nobody expects an email response at 5.30. Nobody's ex- hitting me up on social at 5.30. Like 5.30, my kid's asleep. My, my whole house is asleep. So 5.30, right. nobody's bothering me. I get a lot of work done, two hours. Then I go out and I walk for about an hour and a half. I, I go out and get it, get my exercise in for about, about usually walk for about six miles every morning, uh, come back, jump in, get into some meetings, have some communications, get on some podcasts, uh, eat a light lunch while I'm mm-hmm. doing that. I spend, then I spend my afternoon. I usually go over to our coffee shop. So the coffee shop that we own and there I sit and I do some deep thinking. I just kind of let the, let the white noise of the space be around. And I just start taking notes on all the things that have come up throughout the day and start to capture those ideas for later to be more developed when I get to my next morning. Yeah, that's great. So, so on this six mile walk of yours, uh, after, you know, when you take that time out, yeah. Are you, are you listening to a podcast? Are you listening to a book? Are you just, you know, enjoying the scenery and thinking about other things? What are you doing? Well, if I'm walking it alone, I'm almost always listening to a book. Um, and it's, you know, most books, I, the narration is so slow on them that I have to listen to them at one and a half to two times (laughs) the speed just to, just to to stomach it. Um, so I get through a lot of books in my walking time, Sure, but most mornings, if I'm, I'm not always walking alone. So most mornings it'll be about a half an hour of listening to a book. And then another hour, my business partner joins me. We have a little greenway in our, in Mm -hmm. our city that that's run several miles 
um, you know, maybe a dozen miles and we'll walk another, you know, three and a half, four miles together, uh, and just talk about things he's working on. So he's our, he's in charge of our people ops department and kind of, he's our CPO and kind of running all of that. So we have a lot of talk about vision and onboarding Mm -hmm. and hiring and all the things that are going on with that. And, uh, you know, what are the things that we want to communicate to the team and how best can we communicate that? Wonderful. So before a couple more questions before we sign off. Yeah. One, is there any that you can kind of just think of off the top of your head? Any particular client success story that you're particularly proud of? Um, and I know it's putting you on the spot to think of one. So if you can't, I get it. Yeah, I mean, you know, our the most impact that I have are in our businesses because you know I have a lot of. You know, I have a lot of acquaintances who are business owners and leaders who Mm -hmm. I get on calls with and we talk Mm -hmm. about, and I I could probably not take much credit for most of their successes because they're all brilliant people in their own right. And, and most of the ideas that I had were not that I have given have more been, oh, I knew that I just needed to hear it again. So I would say in our own businesses, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, what, to me, the biggest success, and this is part of owning a, a software company that's been kind of fun, when the pandemic started, most coffee shops, restaurants had to shut down and they just couldn't open their doors. You couldn't, if you didn't Correct. have a patio, yeah, I, nobody I know, was I able realized. to go inside. Yep, yep, yep. So our coffee shop was no different and we didn't have a drive through on our coffee shop. But what we were able to do is early on, we pivoted and we built an app so that people could do curbside pickup, drive up, wait in their car, mm-hmm. and we could hang, walk their car out for them. So we were able to do that relatively quickly so that we could start keep delivering coffee to those who have come right. to fall in love with our brand and continue to service them. And that was actually, what was interesting about that is during a pandemic, when some people were struggling, some people had to shut down completely, we were having month over month growth. We were still growing, even though people Fantastic. weren't sitting in the coffee shop and hanging out. Mm-hmm. And so that was probably one of our biggest successes. Not from a culture. I mean, our culture is what made us able to do it because my my software company and my coffee shop are not related. They're not connected. But our software company had a culture of nobody in our company says it's not my problem. And so when they saw that the coffee shop was going to struggle, they, jumped they said, in. this is our Love problem. It. And so they solved yeah. the solution. And so- Going across and building a culture where, you know, our engineering team was like, hey, we can help with that was really inspiring. So that's fantastic. So if somebody listening to this, uh, this conversation between you and I is thinking, well, this is a really pretty slick company. I, I, I like the whole the whole attitude, what they're up to. Uh, what should they do? <laughs> well, first of all, I would head on over to circles.com. That circles with two eyes. And check out our content there. That's where the podcast leading to fulfillment. And I talk with a lot of coaches and leaders Mm -hmm. and people who Mm -hmm. are doing similar things. We talk about fulfillment. We talk about leading teams and what it's like to create that culture. So if you want a similar culture, consume, read books. Uh, Our website is a great resource for that. We write two two pieces of content every single week, posted on Mondays and Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. We release a podcast every other week on Fridays. And we send out a weekly newsletter where we also curate some of the best around the, around the internet that falls in line with our philosophy of leading teams. And we share that with you. So go over there, subscribe to the newsletter, listen to the podcast, uh, and check out our content. Or 
just hit me up on Twitter, on uh, TikTok, on LinkedIn, or any any social media at James Laws, and uh, send me a message. I'd love to have a conversation and talk to you, get to know what you're doing. And uh, that's something I'm not doing this as a coach. I don't charge for my consulting. Mm -hmm. I just love to meet people, and Mm -hmm. if I can help, I will. Fantastic. Well. James Laws, uh, co-founder and CEO of Saturday Drive. This has been a really energetic conversation. So thanks so much for being with me today. Well, Carol, thank you so much for having me on the show. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.